Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, are local officials finally getting serious about addressing capacity issues at the Hancock County Jail? Sheriff Michael Heldman discusses the limitations and shortcomings of the current facility. Also this morning, as the cost of prescription medication becomes more expensive, people are looking for lower cost alternatives, but an alarming number of those alternatives are not what they claim to be, which can have tragic consequences. And be a scout. Fall recruitment for the Black Swamp Area Council is about to get underway for ages kindergarten and up, with the fun and learning starting right away. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, August 30th, 2021. You heard the uh, Little League World Champion uh, World Championship was uh, held over the weekend. Michigan beat Ohio for the for the Little League World title. Of course, there were no uh, international teams participating this year because of travel restrictions, the pandemic, and all of that. So you actually had two teams from what would ordinarily be the same region playing in the championship game. It has never happened before. Normally, they would have met much, much earlier in the tournament. But uh, Michigan beats Ohio for the Little League World Championship. We will remember that, Michigan, come November 27th. (laughs) The date of the game uh, this year. But no, that was was the first time that uh, Michigan had won Little League World Series since like the 1950s. And I'll tell you, I did not see the whole game uh, but I uh, did tune in for the very beginning, and uh, I knew that Ohio was in trouble when we loaded the bases in the top of the first inning with nobody out and didn't score a run. <laughs> I loaded the bases, nobody out, and could not push one across the plate, and I said to myself at that very moment, I don't have a good feeling about this. So uh, anyway, but congratulations nonetheless. Uh, to uh, that team from up north winning the Little League World Series. We'll remember. We'll remember. Here is uh, some of the uh, first... Here's some of the first things you need to know this morning. Get your... uh, Get your week started. This is the uh, latest COVID news. And uh, see what you think about this. I'm sure this will cause quite a stir uh, when people start to uh, find this. People will be... Posting about this on uh, social media, a judge in Cook County, Illinois, has revoked a woman's visitation with her child because she has not been vaccinated against COVID-19. The ruling was handed down earlier this month, maybe the first of its kind. Rebecca Furlitt uh, has been barred from seeing her 11-year-old son, who she shares custody of with her ex-husband. Uh, Ms. Furlitt's attorney said the issue had not been raised by her ex-husband, but instead was brought up by the judge, James Shapiro, during a child support hearing. When he heard that Ms. Furlitt was not vaccinated, he stripped her of her visitation rights until she gets a COVID vaccine. In a report, she tells the Chicago Sun-Times, quote, I have had adverse reactions to vaccines in the past and was advised not to get vaccinated by my doctor, unquote. Nonetheless, the judge 
was not swayed. Uh, Her attorney is hoping an appeals court reverses the ruling, saying what the judge did is very much exceeding his judicial authority. For his part, uh, the ex-husband, through his attorney, said they support the judge's decision. Well, no kidding. I'm surprised. Um, By the way, husband, dad of the boy, is vaccinated. So, But that is going to cause quite a uh, discussion, I think. First case of its kind, a woman losing custody because she has not been vaccinated. Hmm. By the way, uh, let's see. You're just getting up this morning kind of sluggish to start a new week. Um, not really necessarily motivated to get going. You are not alone. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that about 60% of Americans do not hit their recommended activity level regularly. And 25% of adults admit to exercising zero minutes per week. If you want to increase the chances of sticking to a workout, you could try setting a consistent time to work out. A study uh, recently released found that Giving yourself setting a specific time daily to work out uh, actually is more likely to make it happen. Uh, Morning workouts in particular are found to enhance weight loss among participants with obesity in this study. It is believed these two things help um, setting a specific time and working out in the morning because, number one, it's easier to plan your workout and stick to the time as you are less likely to have a work interruption if you're working out before work begins. So that's number one. And number two, morning workouts potentially increased uh, uh, increase uh, satiety, uh, meaning you might feel less snacky throughout the day as your day will have started with an all-natural energy boost. So I point this out on a Monday. If you are not feeling particularly motivated, maybe... This is one of those motivates you to start a workout regimen in the mornings. It will serve you well, not only throughout the day, but in life. Something to think about on this Monday morning. We're heading toward Memorial Day and uh, Memorial Day, Labor Day. I'm sorry. We're heading toward Labor Day, the end of the summer season. Uh, And so you have. Just a limited amount of time left to enjoy those summer rituals like backyard barbecues. And that seems to have a special place in the hearts of Americans. Bush's Baked Beans commissioned a survey through one poll that finds 72% of Americans have fond memories of grilling grilling out with a family, backyard barbecues with a family. Uh, this summer has been a time for family and friends to come back together says Penny Caudill, the brand manager for Bush's Baked Beans. She says the grill remains a place where we can all get together and enjoy our favorite foods that make summer beautiful, from burgers to hot dogs and, of course, baked beans. The survey of little more than 2,000 Americans also found that more than half, 51%, believe outdoor barbecues are an ideal social gathering for the summer of 2021 which coincides uh, with the uh, lingering COVID-19 pandemic. So 
just a few days left to uh, get out and actually enjoy the trappings of summer. Maybe a backyard barbecue sometime before we get into the uh, Labor Day, post-Labor Day, end of summer. Now, summer's actually going to be around for a little while yet before the calendar says it's autumn. But, of course, Labor Day, sort of the traditional uh, traditional capping off of the uh, summer season. Um, let's see. What else is uh, going on today? Oh, by the way, speaking of... Uh, Speaking of backyard barbecues, today is National Toasted Marshmallow Day. You know that? Reasons to celebrate. There is always a reason to celebrate, and it is National Toasted Marshmallow Day today. So have yourself some s'mores. It is National Beach Day. National Slinky Day. When was the last time you played with a slinky? The International Day of the Disappeared. It is National Grief Awareness Day and... It is Frankenstein Day today. Frankenstein Day. I don't know if you've uh, seen this. I saw saw this on uh, social media, a meme going around. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein entered a bodybuilding contest and suddenly realized that he had majorly uh, misunderstood the objective. That's... Anyway, I know. That's kind of goofy. Kind of goofy. That's a Monday joke. <clears throat> And how about this? Something to uh, think about. I just thought this was interesting. It has nothing to do with any of the news of the day or anything like that. But I thought this was uh, very interesting and uh, something to think about. You know how you go into a store and uh, all of the prices uh, end in 99. Something is 599 $7.99, $0.99. Cents, or big ticket items are not $200. They're $199. Ending an item... Uh, giving an item a price ending in 99 might make customers think that the product is less expensive than it really is. But a new study finds that it can sometimes backfire on the seller. Researchers at the Ohio State University found that this just below pricing makes consumers less likely to upgrade to a more expensive version of the product or service, such as a larger size or a higher end trim on a on a car. The lead author of the study says this is because the just below price makes a product seem like a good bargain and also might makes the leap to the premium product seem too expensive. He says research has shown that, for example, if you were to uh, to travel across a state line to a community on the other side of the state line, no matter how close that is, it seems like it's a long, long way away because that boundary is the that there is there. And it makes the destination seem farther away. It is crossing the threshold that makes a difference. Uh, And in this study, the round number is like the state boundary, magnifying the perception of a difference in price. I I just thought that was uh, really interesting. Uh, Something to to think about there. Because you see that all the time. Prices ending in 99. Anyway, just some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories. To get your uh, Monday morning started for what it's worth. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert weather, a chance of a shower or thunderstorm, otherwise partly sunny and a high near 84. 
A Finley woman and a child were injured Sunday morning in a crash at the intersection of State Route 12 and Marion Township Road 212. Robin Gerritsen was northbound on 212 and failed to stop the intersection while making a right turn onto State Route 12. In doing so, she traveled into the westbound lane and collided head-on with a tractor-trailer. Gerritsen was trapped in the vehicle and had to be extricated by the Washington Township Fire Department. She was transported by ambulance to Blanchard Valley Hospital. Her passenger, Caden Youngston of Fostoria, was also injured and transported to BVH. The driver of the truck, Raymond Byerly of Arcadia, was not injured. Gerritsen was cited for failure to stop at a stop sign. The summer construction program continues for the Ohio Department of Transportation. ODOT work in Hancock County will see repaving on US-224 east of Findlay to the Seneca County line. Traffic will be reduced to a single lane. State Routes 18 and 613 are closed for railroad repairs near County Road 257. 18 is also closed for railroad work in the village of Bloomdale. State Route 698 remains closed between Genera and County Road 313 for a bridge replacement project. US 23 in Seneca County will continue to see traffic reduced to one lane for pavement resurfacing. And State Route 199 remains closed for a bridge replacement project between Cary and Upper Sandusky. An infectious disease doctor at Ohio State University says Ohio has still not peaked in COVID cases during this latest surge. Dave James reports. Dr. Carlos Malvastudo says he expects a few more weeks of high numbers since so many people are not taking precautions. The more that people are circulating without masking, but particularly if there's a high proportion of the population that is unvaccinated. So in areas where there is a lower rate of vaccination, we're likely to see higher numbers. Dr. Malvastudo says he's hopeful the peak will come before hospitals or intensive care units fill up. Dave James, ONN News. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Mornings that matter. It's Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning on Wednesday, the Hancock County Sheriff and uh, County Commissioners presented a broad outline of plans to address future needs of the county jail facility. Emphasis on the word broad because there are several options on the table. Sheriff Michael Heldman joins us uh, this morning. Sheriff, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We Good morning. It. How are you this morning? Doing very well for a Monday, you know, all things it's, considered. It's a Monday, yes. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the uh, jail facility in this presentation last week, I, I, I have to say I thought it was pretty much already decided that a new or expanded facility was needed and all we had left was to kind of fill in the details. It sounds like we're studying something we already know. Well, what we had, we... We brought, we released the actual completed study. And okay. what you had heard before was a set, just a abbreviated. And what we had last week was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday was three days of intense work with the people that the commissioners contracted with, uh, Mark Martin and uh, Dave Bostwick. And they came in and worked with the, uh, the county commissioners, judges, the prosecutor, the sheriff's office, the police department, uh, a range of people. Well, there was 12 to 16 people there throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, judge Niemeyer, uh, retired judge, uh, attended as well. He's going to help kind of lead the committee. And so he was there to learn. And what it was was a planning of a new institution. 
you know, it was pretty well decided, yes, we need to look at what type of facility. Yeah. And so this was the actual, they set everybody down with the books and you plan through the three days of start to finish a site, uh, the size and everything up through and, and including, you know, showing how the costs come into play kind of interesting you mentioned a lot of stakeholders here yes. i mean you know obviously the two primary are yourself the county commissioners but there are an awful lot of people uh who have an interest in you know uh, what that facility is going to look like moving forward that's correct and we need to you know get input from these people to say what are you going to be doing in the future judges are we going you know 2020 was a, a interesting year because our population was brought down into the 50s and 60s for a period of time. We're back up in the 80s right now, but Mm -hmm. we still need to be cautious with the COVID. And if we have a new facility, is the numbers going to remain low? Are they going to go back up? Yeah. Which we're pretty sure they're going to go back up into the 140s and 150s again. But we have to, again, be careful with COVID, be able to separate these people and keep a certain amount of part of the jail available we have to quarantine yeah. kind of interesting um you mentioned we talk about all of the uh, stakeholders and and as you mentioned uh, opportunity for everybody to kind of weigh in and and thoughts uh you know being collected and and needs being evaluated at the presentation on wednesday it was also said that now is the time for the citizens to be involved how so what are you looking from uh, for from the citizenry we're looking for input we want them to uh, be part of this process uh, part of the jail committee, as I man- mentioned with uh, uh, retired Judge Niemeyer, uh, it's going to have a, gr- a citizen group segment uh, with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want them to be able to say, you know, th- the burden is going to be on all of us as taxpayers eventually. You know, right. how is this going to be paid for? Uh, we have don't have a dollar amount yet, but when you're looking at adding another additional 100 beds or more to our existing facility – it's going to cost money and the decision is going to have to be made whether we add on to the current facility and make us totally landlocked or do we go out on 140 and look at a one floor plan that is much more efficient and uh, functional than what we have in our current facility. You mentioned uh, the words efficient and functional because, it, and I think that's interesting because the way that this story has been framed over the past several years, it has been all about the amount of space, uh, inmate capacity being the issue. Are there other shortcomings with the jail that make it inadequate for the current needs of a facility? Our jail was built with a lot of the 1800 1900 type jails which is called linear Mm -hmm. and they're long day space cell blocks off to the side and very um uh, they take a lot of staff and what we're looking at now is going into the pods where one person works a group of uh could be up to 50 60 people or be pods that they're watching two or three pods and being right in with the inmates uh, which cuts down on your amount of staff that you have, which is probably it's, it's the way they design and build beds or build jails as of today. Uh, another thing we're going to be looking at we don't have is where do we put uh, people that have drug alcohol abuse problems? Mm-hmm. We need a segment for that. We need an area to put people that are suffering with mental health. Uh, we do know that you know 70 to 80 percent of our inmates have some type of mental health or alcohol problem. 
they need the proper treatment. In our current facility, it's very, very difficult to be able to ha- to train, uh, work with these people and do the programming that's needed. Yeah, part of it obviously uh, involves kind of peering into the crystal ball, as you were alluding to, is what will those needs be many years on down the line? Because this is going to take a while to actually flesh out what it will look like, put the plans together, construction, uh, all of that. So Yeah, we're looking three to five probably years to be able to really know what we're going to be looking at yeah uh so not unlike flood mitigation the wheels move slowly yes exactly (laughs) maybe not that slowly hopefully not (laughs) (laughs) but slowly nonetheless so what kind of a time frame are you looking at to maybe have a or is it too early to say at this point to, to have a plan it is kind of early to say what we need is the next step from the commissioners how fast they want to move mm-hmm. and we need then to gather a group of people the citizenry the the, the jail committee if you want to put it uh, simply uh, together they need to start meeting one of the first things we need to do is set a mission statement what 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 are we looking at what what is it that we're going to try and accomplish? Mm-hmm. And then we need to look at a size. Uh, and we have ideas. And when you have ideas, there's a price tag attached to it. Sure. And so yeah. we got to come up with something that's going to be workable with Finley and Hancock County. So a very deliberate process getting underway and uh, something obviously that we continue to uh, follow as as that uh, process moves along. Also want to mention while we have you here, uh, you recently announced uh, another Citizen Sheriff's Academy program uh, to uh, be starting, what, next month here in just a couple of weeks? We're probably going to back it off until the winter months. We haven't had that many people sign up as yet. But what we're going to do is do a, a recruitment over the next few months, getting people. We want to have a class size of about 10 to 12 people. Mm-hmm. And with everything that's been going on and with the COVID kind of rearing its ugly head, yeah, we have decided to back it off and until probably January. So we want to work with people that are interested in learning about the inner workings of the sheriff. Yeah, I was going to say, for those who are not familiar, uh, what is the Citizen Sheriff's Academy and what did what did you do? What do you teach folks? What do we do is uh, we bring people in one night a week for nine weeks and mm-hmm. we talk about ex- just what, do you, what we do do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my part of it and with my administrative assistant, we talk about the sheriff's office the staffing and the budgeting and what it costs to operate. We'll bring somebody in, then uh, uh, Ryan Kidwell, our jail administrator. He'll talk about the, uh, you know, what the jail is all about. Uh, I we, was going to say for those who are interested in the topic exactly. we were just talking about, this uh, provides some really interesting insight. I would right. Uh, we'll have someone come in and and talk about our weapons and our training and our training and all of our weapons and just different things like that. One of the detectives comes in and talks about cases and cold cases and so forth yeah uh and if folks are interested in being a part of that how do they reach Uh, out contact becky smith my administrative assistant at the sheriff's office and uh, she will take your information and be happy to uh, put you on the schedule. I know that uh, those who have been through it before uh, say it's a, a real uh, eye-opener, a lot of really fascinating information. We need to get you there. Get a new appreciation for yes. what it is that you do. Well, I appreciate what you do anyway. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Sheriff Michael Hellman with us uh, this morning. More on our webpage, go to goodmornings.net. Sheriff, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate Thank you for it. having me.
to your health this morning. It is understandable that as the cost of prescription medication becomes more expensive, people are looking for lower cost alternatives. Online pharmacies have become increasingly popular in recent years, but unlike buying something from Amazon that turns out to be less than as advertised, it is very hard to tell if the drugs that you're buying off the internet are the real deal, and it can have tragic consequences. Joining us is Ed Turnan, is a husband, father, and businessman whose uh, son uh, tragically was poisoned by a counterfeit medication purchased online. Ed, first of all, share your story and your experience, because it really drives home the point that we're trying to make here. Yeah, thank you. Our our 22-year-old son, Charlie, back in May of 2020, went on a social media site uh, to get a a Percocet because his chronically bad back was bothering him that day. Mm -hmm. But what he got was not a Percocet. What he got was a realistic-looking pill uh, that was made entirely of fentanyl, which is a powerful opioid that, according to doctors, killed him in less than 15 minutes from the time he took the pill. Wow. Uh, that is uh, so incredibly tragic and, as we said, a dramatic example uh, of what can happen. Also, we are joined by uh, Caroline Duran, uh, Caroline Hahn, I'm sorry, excuse me, the executive director of the Virginia Board of Pharmacy. She serves as the president of the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. How common uh, are, are stories like this? People end up with medications that aren't what they purport to be? It's a common problem. There are websites everywhere advertising the sale of prescription drugs online, and the majority of these sites are not safe online pharmacies. The National Association of Boards of Pharmacy reviewed over 25,000 websites and found that over 95% of them operate illegally. They frequently don't require a valid prescription, or they're selling these counterfeit drugs that contain dangerous substances like fentanyl that can create patient harm and even patient death. Let me go back and underscore that 25,000 websites you looked at. So that's just an enormous number. I would have never guessed that there would be 25,000 websites out there uh, selling medications. You say the vast majority uh, are just flat out counterfeit. That's correct. So it's a, Highly complex criminal activity. Now, uh, that's that's not to say that purchasing medications uh, online is necessarily in and of itself uh, a bad thing. I mean, uh, I, I have done it. My wife has done it. We uh, use the reputable pharmacies that are recommended by our insurers. How do we know that we are dealing with legitimate online pharmacies? Right. There are legitimate sources from where you can obtain prescription drugs online. We, we do have safe pharmacies online, but unfortunately, we have a very, very large number of these websites that are advertising this uh, that are not safe. And the consumer can go to safe.pharmacy. It's an excellent website created by the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy to help tease out this information and educate the consumer for how to identify a safe pharmacy from an illegitimate site. All they have to do is type in the name of the online source where they're thinking about ordering their drugs from, and that website, Safe.Pharmacy, will tell you if it is a recommended site, a safe pharmacy, for instance, 
or if it is a not recommended illegitimate site. Now, Ed, in Charlie's case, uh, as I understand it, he kind of got connected to this online seller uh, through social media. Is that right? That's right. Yes. And that's a, that's a very related, somewhat distinct problem. Um, social media, drug dealers are uh, targeting young people because kids these days uh, grew up taking uh, prescription pills um, and they're kind of used to taking and sh- even sharing pills that don't always belong to them. You know, pills like, you know, Adderall or Xanax. Yeah. And uh, the, the online social media sites have just been flooded with these uh, counterfeits. Yeah, sadly, that is an entirely different problem that we could uh, spend uh, another hour talking about uh, is the uh, sharing of medication and the kind of the laissez-faire attitude of many young people toward prescription medications. But uh, again, here is an example of, uh, you know, red flags uh, toward getting uh uh, counterfeit medicine uh, via social media. I would I would assume that that's uh, hardly ever going to be a legitimate source. That that's right. If you're if you're getting your pills in this day and age, you need to get your your medications from a legitimate prescriber and a legitimate source. If you're going kind of outside of normal channels to get a prescription med, especially on social media you can bet that 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 pill is fake and many of the fake ones are deadly so my organization songforcharlie.org is devoted to warning young people about this new threat of counterfeit pills in the age of synthetics like fentanyl and the fact that sadly these days one pill can kill yeah and based on on your experience and and what you know now uh learning much more about this uh sadly through your experience what advice would you offer to other individuals and parents uh, and so on about recognizing some of those other red flags well first thing i would say is that we need to raise awareness and tell everyone that these counterfeit pills are everywhere and that you need to go through proper channels when you get uh, your medications. And that's why, uh, you know, a website like safe.pharmacy is, is such an important tool for people to check their sources and make sure that it's uh, legitimate. I think we also need to make sure that those individuals who are seeking cheaper prescription drugs, given the high cost of prescription drugs right now currently, Mm -hmm. uh, it makes sense that they may go online to try to find cheaper alternatives. We need to make sure that even if these are adults, for instance, just trying to take their chronic blood pressure, cholesterol-lowering agents, that they understand that these online sources are not safe and that oftentimes what they're going to get sold as a counterfeit drug that could lead to real problems for them. It is certainly a valid point that this is uh, not just something that young people are susceptible to. Obviously, uh, the older we get, the more medications we are likely to take, and uh, the more uh, cost savings we're, we're looking at. Again, again, older folks are on uh, limited incomes. They may be even more susceptible in many respects uh, to uh, all of this. So, uh, Caroline, I, I, I hear a lot of folks uh, say, well, how come we can't these uh, bogus sites, these counterfeit sites, we can't just shut them down. I, what is the what is the challenge and and what is the effort to to make to shut down these uh, counterfeit uh, dangerous sellers of uh, fake medications? This is highly complex criminal activity, oftentimes run by uh, criminal organizations. They are fly by the night type of uh, websites. 
it's extremely difficult to identify where they are operating from. Uh, they might put one address on their website only to find out that it's in, in a completely different uh, country altogether. And so we partner with uh, state and federal law enforcement agencies to try to investigate these sites. And I would encourage any consumers, if they see suspicious activity, if they see an advertisement, whether it be online or in their newspaper or what have you, if it looks suspicious, uh, please file a complaint with your local state board of pharmacy so that we can work with law enforcement agencies to try to stamp this problem out. Such an important message. Again, uh, Ed Turnan is with us this morning. Uh, certainly, he uh, has the uh, experience, tragic experience, we want to spare other families from. Uh, his nonprofit is called Song for Charlie. Uh, also with us, the uh, president of the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, uh, Carolyn Geron. Uh, uh, let's mention again the uh, websites uh, that we referenced where folks can learn more about this issue. Sure. Safe.pharmacy is the location where they can type in the name and it will tell them if this is a safe online pharmacy or an illegitimate site. We also have songforcharlie.org, which is an excellent website for educating the youth regarding the dangers of prescription drugs. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A woman posted a video on Facebook. This happened on Friday. Says she, uh, she claims she took the video uh, while in line at McDonald's drive through uh, in her uh, hometown. The video shows... One of the cars in front of her in line with a live cow in the back seat. <laughs> a live cow in the back seat is there the just taking your taking your cow out for a spin. Uh, and by the way, this is not a truck uh, or you know with a with a like live, livestock trailer or something. This is a sedan, a basically a compact car with a bovine in the back seat. It turns out. The car actually had three calves in it at the time. Belongs to a man named Bernie who said he had just purchased the animals at the local fair and was making a pit stop for food on the way home. What's what really makes this funny is that the is the locale, the place where this happened, Marshfield, Wisconsin. <laughs> the dairy state. <laughs> She said, this might be the most Wisconsin thing ever to have happen. <laughs> three cows in the backseat of a sedan, the McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> Certainly not something you see every day. But again, there's video on this uh, out there on social media, so you can check that out see for yourself. Meanwhile, in the uh, broken news... Police in Conyers, Georgia, say a suspect was fleeing from officers and <laughs> stole a very unique getaway vehicle and trying to to get away from officers. Stole a mortuary van, which did have a body inside. Stole it from the parking lot of the mortuary on Tuesday afternoon. Police say upon the suspect's flight, the gurney rolled out of the open back hatch and onto the parking lot. Uh, where it came to rest, at least thankfully it didn't go out into the road. Police say the 23-year-old suspect, Kijan Griffin, led police on a 13-mile chase 
uh, in the uh, mortuary van, which uh, the chase ended after he struck several vehicles on Interstate 20 and blew a tire. He then fled on foot into a wooded area, and police were not able to catch up with him, but he did turn himself in on Thursday morning. It is not clear what all charges he will face in connection with the mortuary van theft, but I'm going to guess that they will be rather extensive. That's just my, my thought. Elsewhere in the broken news, uh, this is maybe a self-defense tip for ladies particularly. If you are walking your dog with a plastic baggie full of dog do, you may be walking with a life-saving weapon. Uh, in uh, Tennessee, I believe this was in the uh, Nashville area. Uh, reports are that a would-be kidnapper found his face full of dog dew when he targeted the wrong woman. 47-year-old Michael James Ward approached a jogger with her dog on a, a local dog trail, grabbed her, and punched her multiple times before attempting to drag her into the forest. The quick-thinking woman weaponized her full bag of dog droppings <laughs> before things escalated further. And smeared it all over her attacker's face. She then attempted to call 911. Um, but uh, she wound up losing her cell phone to the would-be kidnapper who brandished a knife and demanded that she fork it over. Uh, after grabbing her cell phone, he then ran off into the woods, reportedly escaping by boat. Interestingly enough. Uh, Mr. Ward was later spotted at a convenience store. Probably trying to clean himself up. He was arrested on two counts, aggravated assault and aggravated robbery. <laughs> he got his just desserts. Got his face smeared with dog dew. That's, that's a bad day. You know you <laughs> maybe should consider a different profession if that's how uh, your kidnapping ends up. Um, speaking of water escapes or attempted water escapes, a uh, suspect in Nova, Nova Scotia, Canada and Halifax took officers on an unexpected adventure before deciding to uh, flee and go for a swim. The hunt began on Friday after authorities responded to a report of a robbery at a local bar and grill where two men entered, showed a weapon and demanded money. The two then took off on a motorcycle, which they eventually crashed into a police vehicle. That's that's not too bright. That's a dead giveaway. You're generally in trouble if you uh, crash your getaway motorcycle into a cop car. One suspect was arrested. However, the other took off into a nearby lake where he attempted to swim away from officers. Apparently, he wasn't thinking that, you know, boats are faster than swimmers. They grabbed a pedal boat <laughs> from a local dock and caught up with him in pretty short order. So. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, this from um, Michigan, and I'm not sure exactly where uh, Kalamazoo, there it is, Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan. Uh, parents, if you are thinking about pitching your child's porn collection, think again. A judge has ordered the parents of David Working to pay him $30,000 
uh, because they threw out his uh, adult uh, entertainment collection. Um, David sued his parents after they threw away a trove of uh, stuff and an array of adult toys. Uh, Mr. Working moved in with his parents. Now, mind you, he's 43 years old. He moved in with his parents following a divorce. And as hard to believe, he'd be divorced with $30,000 worth of uh, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, he asked his parents to send some of his things after he moved out uh, a year later. But the anticipated 12 or so boxes of X-rated films, magazines and toys Never appeared. He then received an email from his father who wrote, Frankly, David, I did you a big favor getting rid of all of this garbage. And that is when Mr. Working dragged his parents to court and a judge agreed that they should not, they should not have thrown it out. They had no right to. He's, uh, they uh, were ordered to pay $30,000 for the value of the uh, materials and then an additional $14,000 to pay their son's attorney's fees. Meaning, you know, in all, they owe their son about 45 grand. <clears throat> I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm not going to think we've had enough of that story. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, I'm Jerry Stewart. Labor Day is a day of celebrating the powerful fact that America is the greatest labor nation in the world. Are we the great? Or does our greatness come from something else, someone else? Please join me on this station for my special Labor Day program, Praying for America, where you'll hear amazing stories worth hearing and worth passing on. Please join me. Sunday morning at 11 on 1330, WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives with everything from gyms to travel either locked down or severely restricted over the past year plus. A new survey shows that young Americans were able to sock away some cash during the pandemic. This is a poll of 2,000 Americans, younger Americans in the Generation Z and Millennial age range, so young adults. 2,000, commissioned by the digital banking platform Laurel Road, uh, showed that 60% of those young adults saved money during the lockdown time. 60%. That's not surprising, because what is much to spend money on? However, and this is kind of interesting... 70% now say that they are spending again as things uh, come open, uh, you know, reopen after the uh, pandemic. So this apparently did not necessarily change long term habits. The poll notes 61% of respondents managed to save at least $1,000 from the start of the pandemic through the summer of 2021. One in 10 saved over $5,000. 38% of the respondents in this poll said that they were putting that extra dough toward paying off their student loans. That was uh, 38%. But 37% said that they planned to go on vacation. (laughs) To heck with the student loans, we're going to go on vacation. And 32% said that they will pay their rent. 
<laughs> so, so more are going on vacation than will pay their rent, according, <laughs> according to this website. And 29%, just uh, 29% say that they will pay off their credit cards. So in that uh, hierarchy of priorities, it's kind of interesting. Paying off student loans at the top, but barely vacation comes in after that and then paying their rent and paying off their credit cards. So uh, priorities may be a little goofy, but uh, in any event, nearly 60% of those in this poll say that they are more financially confident because of the lockdown. So that may be the lasting impact. 30% said it taught them to budget for the first time. that They had never done that before, and that will come in handy seeing as how 59% of those in that age uh, group have made up for lost time by saying that they are spending more money now than they were before the pandemic. So that is the the negative there. It's 30% learned how to budget for the first time is a positive, but 59% are spending actually more money now than they did before all of this started. So... I don't know. You take that from what you uh, take from that what you will, and it should be pointed out as a non-scientific poll, but really some interesting insights as to the uh, money habits and many mindsets of young American adults. Well, it is that time of year again. Fall recruitment for the Black Swamp Area Scout Council about ready to get underway for ages kindergarten and up and the fun and learning will start right away mark kogan is here from the black swamp uh, area council mark thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it great chris thanks for having me this morning you really actually appreciate it. are back up and running you had uh, camp programs through the summer and uh, all of that so things are starting to uh, get back to some semblance of normal yeah we, we transitioned last spring mo- mostly away from zoom meetings and we were able to operate camp uh, as the best of our ability this summer actually more m- closest to probably camp was was almost regular camp uh, mm-hmm. from, with additional protocols obviously keep right. everybody safe and healthy which we were able to do which was great mm-hmm. uh, so now turning your attention we get into the fall season to fall uh, recruitment and as we said there are uh, scout programs for all ages kindergarten and up yeah our, our program starts in kindergarten for boys and girls um, and we'll be doing our recruitments in a lot of the schools. And we have our first big recruitment here in the city of Finley on Thursday, September 9th at 630. And we'll be at Glenwood, Donnell, and Whittier um, schools for our recruitment. Um, the county schools, since they go back a little after Labor Day, um, th- those will be a little bit later in September. Okay. But then all of our new scouts and, and any families that have any interest in joining scouting, they can come out to <clears throat> Camp Barry on Saturday, September uh, 18th from 9 to 12 to experience all the great things scouts get to do. I know that's one of the uh, traditions uh, of fall is to invite everybody out for kind of a family day to get introduced to what the scout program is all about. Yep. It, they get to do uh, archery and BBs and climbing and fishing, all those great things about the great outdoors and, and what makes scouting so much fun. And that vehicle that we use to teach that character, citizenship, and fitness that goes kind of hand-in-hand with the schools are doing with the Leader and Me program. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, a lot of us, we think about, uh, and and I remember from my days uh, in the Scouts, uh, all of those fun activities and the outdoor activities and so on. But there is a much deeper meaning that, as you said, really ties into a lot of what is being taught in terms of leadership uh, within the schools. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Lord Baden-Powell, the founding of the Worldwide Scouting Movement, 
environment. He called scouting a game with a purpose. We use that outdoor adv adventure and that adventure of excitement and camping in the outdoors to teach that those basic life skills, how to work with a group, a, group, a team and a patrol or a den, uh, how to be um, reliable, how to be trustworthy, how to be loyal. It mm -hmm. uses that as that, that uh, experience outside of the classroom to actually, and it reinforces what's going on in the classroom as well. Yeah. Uh, so you are also, in addition to looking for new scouts, you're looking for new scout leaders. We're always looking for, for, for scouting volunteers. Um, you know, one of the things that I look back upon when I was a, when I was a boy, besides my parents, the person who was probably one of the most influential individuals in my lifetime was my scout master, Mr. Mm -hmm. Salinger. And I know my team hears me talk about him a lot, but that, those volunteers make an impact on helping develop our youth to be leaders for tomorrow. What is involved in becoming a volunteer uh, uh, scout leader? Oh, to become a scout leader, you would fill out an adult leader application. You have to take our required youth protection training course. There's a mm -hmm. criminal background check. Mm -hmm. And then we have required basic training, which a majority of that is available online now. Do you have a lot of uh, scout leaders that are uh, involved with the dens their kids are uh, involved at? Is that generally mm -hmm. the way a lot of times people get involved yeah 99 percent of the the volunteers that we have are involved because their their child is in that cub scout yeah. den or that cub scout certainly not scout a requirement tree. however no it's not a requirement but a lot of times they're yeah they're, that the person is involved and uh you also have uh, some other things that are, are going on uh we want to mention the popcorn sale is uh, it you brought in some some popcorn for me you you know you know my weakness uh <laughs> caramel caramel corn so i appreciate that thank you very much yeah so we're yeah we're we're kicking off our popcorn sale. You'll you'll start to see the show and sells and our scouts uh, uh, going around the neighborhood selling selling the popcorn. One of the things I always say about the popcorn sale, we're asking people to support scouting by buying some popcorn. Um, and, and the great part about the popcorn sale, seventy three percent of the popcorn proceeds stay locally, and more than half of that stays within the local unit for them to deliver hmm. program and help send their kids to camp. Um, and pay for their adventure for the entire year. So the uh, popcorn uh, sale is underway. The folks are probably going to get hit up by the scouts they know, or they can actually order it. Uh, can you order it online? Yeah, you can actually go to our council website at yeah. blackswampbsa.org. Um, you can get that information about that as well as all of our events and our recruiting information. And if you want to sign up for scouting, you can also go to beascout.org. Uh, you can actually register for scouting all online now. Okay, so uh, we've got a link up, by the way, to the uh, website uh, for more information about all of this stuff. What are some of the other uh, programs that are coming up? Um, so it was one of the other great things that we're making sure we're offering to the community. We have a wonderful cyber chip program for online safety as well as protect yourself rules. Uh, for our elementary school age kids and personal safety awareness programs, those are great resources, not only for our scouts, but for uh, all youth in the community and their families. And I strongly encourage families to check that out. Uh, a lot of it's online safety, cyberbullying, some of the, a lot of the things that uh, continue to affect young people, not only in scouts, but outside of scouts. And it's a really great resource. Um, and then we have our, our Sporting Clays event uh, coming up on September 30th. And that's a fundraiser for the council as well. Um, and then we're also, we're a proud United Way agency and we appreciate the support of the Hancock County United Way as well as the other United Ways in, in our surrounding communities. Scouting alive and well uh, in the community. We were talking actually a little bit before we went on the air uh, because folks may know uh, here just within the past couple of years, uh, the Boy Scouts actually kind of rebranded themselves. BSA, what is it? So 
Scouts BSA. Yeah, so what we used to be called our our Boy Scouting program is now Mm -hmm. called Scouts BSA. We're still the Boy Scouts of America, but we now have girls in our Cub Scout program and in our Scouts BSA program, and young ladies can become the rank of Eagle Scout. Wow. So, and and what has been the uh, response locally with respect Um, to that? uh, Across our council, we have a couple hundred girls that are involved in the scouting program. We were kind of ramping that up as COVID hit. Right. Um, So our recruitment last year was really, really challenged. Uh, but we're looking forward to uh, welcoming uh, entire families into the scouting program. And it's more about being a resource for the family and offering that 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 youth development program uh, to the whole family at one-stop shop. And when we talk about the uh, whole family, as we were alluding to, uh, a lot of parents uh, end up getting involved as uh, leaders as well. So it literally can become a, a family affair. Absolutely. And what is the commitment uh in terms of in terms of because uh, as everybody knows as you know kids today are so almost over scheduled so many things that are going on what kind of a commitment are we talking about with scouts? so so our our cub scouts they'll generally meet uh two to three times a month in their smaller den group mm-hmm. and then uh once a month in a large pack meeting um where all we got all the different age groups together. So about the, the, the kids will meet about four times a month and, and sometimes uh, they'll do an outdoor a, a special activity on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But generally those other, those other meetings are during the week. Um, and the parents are probably, you know, if they're involved at the, at the as a volunteer, they're probably looking about uh, four or five evenings uh, a month to help support the Cub Scout, uh, their Cub Scout program. So uh, hopefully something that, that people can weave into their uh, schedule because there is so so much benefit that, that kids get out of a program. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like they're, 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 the investment in, in, in youth, getting them involved in youth youth development program like scouting, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the best youth program the world's <laughs> ever seen, uh, but I might be a little biased there. Um, That's it, okay. We would expect that. It, uh, it really helps. Uh, the, the support from the community really helps to make that happen especially for our volunteers. And it is just a heck of a lot of fun, as is evidenced again, the Family Fun Day. I want to highlight that again because it is coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'd love to see the entire community come out to Camp Berry on Saturday, September 18th. Okay, and again, more information is on the website, which we have linked up, and you are also going to be out at the fair, by the way, too. Right? Yeah, we, so we've got a, we've got a static display in the, in the youth okay. building. So, so. Uh, check that out and see what all of the uh, scouts have been up to. Again, Mark Hogan, the uh, Black Swamp Area Council of the Boy Scouts of America. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Chris, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.